Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Dr. David, the cutting edge doc here. And the upcoming interview with Foster Gamble is, well, all I can say is it's huge. In fact, it's so huge, we couldn't get it all in in our normal 75-minute interview. The interview actually goes for 90 minutes. We cover a broad range of topics. We go into quite a bit of depth, and uh, it was a joy to do. So Foster Gamble is one of the most inspiring people I know. He's very balanced, centered, present, and very committed to doing everything possible to uplift humanity during this critical time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the amazing Foster Gamble. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. And I'm your host, Dr. David Kamnitzer, also known as Dr. David and the Cutting Edge Doc, and most of my guests just call me Dr. David. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with people that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And I am more than excited about today's show. I'm really inspired. My special guest today is Foster Gamble. I'm sure many of you know at least of Foster, because he and his wife, Kimberly, are the producers, and they also are, and Foster's also in the movie Thrive, which uh, has helped to awaken and uplift consciousness all around the world. And uh, I had the good pleasure of meeting Foster in person a couple of years ago in Half Moon Bay, California, and we had a chance to go for coffee afterwards and uh, I just have so much admiration and respect for Foster, uh, both as a person and also as a light worker and an innovator and a practical visionary and a, and a person who's very present and a, de a devoted husband. And it's absolutely my pleasure to invite Foster into the conversation and uh, I'm just looking forward to this conversation so much. So welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, Foster. Thanks, David. I really appreciate the invitation, and I look forward to an exciting exploration with you and with your network. So I was talking to Foster off the air before we started the recording, and I said that I didn't want to duplicate uh, many of the hundreds of interviews that Foster's done over the last few years in terms of sharing his basic thoughts and ideas. Uh, for those of you who need access to that for this conversation to really be useful, uh, you can access uh, both the Thrive movie and all sorts of other information that relates to what Foster is up to at thrivemovement.com. That's www.thrivemovement.com. But just for the people that maybe have very little context. Could you give like a short, maybe three to four minutes or less Cliff Notes version description of what Thrive is, the movie is and what it's all about? Sure. Uh, Thrive 
What on Earth Will It Take is the official name of the movie. And it's really a lifelong labor of love on my behalf and also uh, that of my dear wife and co-creative partner, Kimberly. And we set out to make uh, a movie which would be, in, in essence, a trailer for the website. And we spent three years building a website to empower the movement that we anticipated, to, to empower self-creating uh, solutions groups all over the world, taking on hundreds of issues based on principles rather than politics. And the film was one that I intended to make starting in college. Um, I was a filmmaker in college, actually created the filmmaking department at the university where I was because they didn't have one. And um, I got deeply enough into filmmaking to realize that I had nothing to say that was important enough to take all that time and technology and money and hassle that it took to, to make a feature film. So people expected that I would just go to Hollywood and start making films, but that was not what rung true to me. Instead, I devoted myself to figuring out what is in the way of humanity thriving. Because as I grew up, I kind of had the impression that, you know, there were problems in the world, but there are no more world wars, and we're kind of working things out, and, you know, we were really headed toward a thriving civilization. But then, uh, particularly in my later years in college, I realized that we were on the, the brink of a nu nuclear holocaust. The U.S. was invading Cambodia for no good reason that I could understand, and we were in the process of destroying the very environment that's the, you know, the lifeblood of our existence. So I realized, okay, the, the, the adults don't necessarily know what they're doing. And rather than make a movie when I don't know what I would want to say, um, what I want to do is find out what I would say about what's really going on in the world that you don't really get from the mainstream media. And once I, I hopefully found that, then I would give my best shot at what we could do about it. And when I felt that I had potential solutions that were commensurate to the incredible direness and size of the problems, um, that's when I told my, my friends, uh, that, that's when I'll make the movie. And I thought it might even take five years to, to get all that. Well, it was over 40 years. Um, and my quest was a lot more elaborate than I had anticipated. But I'm pleased to say that in my lifetime, I finally came to a, a sufficient sense of what's really going on in the world and what we could do about it. So that's what Thrive is. It was an attempt to condense into two hours uh, a coherent connecting of the dots across all sectors of human endeavor of why are we in this mess? And as I say in the film, I found out that humanity is not a mistake. We're just mistaken. So how did we get diluted into buying into uh, all these you know, poison foods and fake money and pollution and endless, you know, senseless wars and all this. How, how did that happen? And so we, we really look at that in the movie. We follow the money to see who's actually uh, choosing those actions. Uh, and then once we do that, it's, we look at why. You know, what is the agenda behind the actions of what you might call the ruling elite, the, the, the money brokers? Uh, who seem to be at the top of most of the power centers throughout the world. And then the final section of, of the movie is uh, creating solutions. And we did not want to make the movie until it was really grounded in, uh, in 
practical solutions that were directly and in a highly leveraged way <clears throat> addressing the problems <clears throat> and based on uh, universal principles. So I'm thrilled to say that, that we finally made a movie that we were very proud of that we feel does exactly that. And we've been delighted to see that the reception was even beyond our our wildest dreams. You know, it's still to a great degree shunned by the mainstream because it undermines a lot of their their hidden agenda. But it's been seen by uh, over 30 million people already in you know, hundreds of countries throughout the world. It continues to be seen by, by more than a, a million people a month. Uh, and this is three years later. But most encouragingly to us, it has spawned a natural self-creating movement, like I mentioned before, that has over a thousand solutions groups in a hundred countries around the world who are taking on over 200 issues, but they're coordinating with each other. Uh, we don't, we're not trying to run some big organization. We just created a solutions hub on our network where people can find other people either in their local area or across the planet who are working on the same areas they are and then share best practices. So not everybody's recreating the same wheel. So they're sharing lawsuits and petitions and flyers and, you know, all sorts of, of ways that people can collaborate to be effective, once again, based on core principles rather than politics. So that's kind of a nutshell overview. Okay. And so for people who haven't seen the movie, I think it's important to mention that at this point in time, it's available for anyone to see the movie who has internet access, regardless of their ability to pay, that it's completely on a donation basis. Yeah, it, it, we, uh, we ended up uh, letting it go for free to increase the reach uh, all across the world so that there wouldn't be a paywall between people and this information. And uh, I highly recommend to people that if you haven't seen it and you want to see it on your computer, hook into a big screen if you can, because we made this for theaters. It's a, a, it's a big film with fantastic visual effects by Liquid Buddha, dot um, com an amazing team of special effects uh, wizards and the score won the hollywood music and media award you know the first prize in that uh, award category um, a couple of years ago and the sound was mixed at skywalker ranch the lucasfilm uh ranch and, and recording studios up in, in marin county and so it it, it really is a uh, an exciting and beautiful experience. And so I recommend you immerse in it a, as much as you can. And, you know, it's a challenging ride. There's a lot of difficult information that we're inviting people to confront uh, so that we can solve the issues. But um, we dedicated ourselves from day one when we started shooting the film to really honor the beauty of the human spirit and the beauty of the planet that we live on. Um, and we did that. We couched everything in the film in relation to that. And what we discovered is that all of these issues, you know, from GMOs to chemtrails to banking schemes to imperialistic wars, again and again, every single issue, what we've found so far is a breakdown in the wholeness of natural systems. So we really glorify, you know, honor the, uh, the wholeness of natural systems, whether it be a, you know, a planet or an ecosystem or uh, a, a food or human beings themselves, so that people can see in stark contrast uh, how glorious um, life is compared to the, the pollution, the economic breakdown, the, the suffering, the poverty, the sickness, 
uh, that is just rampant for billions of people on the planet right now. And then we really get to, okay, how can we actually restore uh, a thriving planet uh, and, you know, live healthy lives uh, really in love with one another? Right. You know, as I'm listening to you and, and interviewing you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn in terms of where to take the conversation from here because a part of me wants to con- take the conversation into more of a conversation about you and your personal journey and kind of the places you've had to go inside yourself to be able to stick with this and pull it off and stay in a clear and present mode and deal with all the forces coming your way. And then there's another part of me that really wants to dive into some of the ideas that are presented and, and, and really get into more of a, that level of conversation. Um, but I think maybe we can spend a few more minutes on on the personal foster gamble. And I just want to let the listeners know that um, foster is a black belt in, uh, is it Aikido? Yes. In, in the martial art of Aikido, which I think has really helped foster to be able to stay centered and to take all the forces coming his way and to use them in service to to spirit and to his intentions. And uh, maybe you could speak a little to, um, you know, I don't want you to talk about anything you're uncomfortable talking about, but anything you'd be willing to talk about, about what were some of the greatest personal challenges that either you've gone through or you're going through in the process of your commitment to bring this into the world and to have it be a a foundation from which all sorts of good work can happen? Well, it's a great question. I guess I would have to say probably the two biggest challenges are uh, moving forward, learning more and more every day, um, while becoming more and more open-minded and open-hearted. And the open-minded has more to do with... uh, seeking the truth and then coping with the <laughs> the challenging information that comes up as you go down one rabbit hole after another and then continually improving my muscle uh that supports me in not giving in to being socially popular or being uh you know politically fashionable or something like that at the cost of the truth or at the cost of, of my own vision and and purpose this lifetime. So most of the challenges um, come up there. Uh, From my days in college, uh, I started trying to self-reflect through through sports, which were a major medium uh, for me. I was a a high-level athlete in numerous sports, and I just learned a lot from the challenge of that. And then in college, a friend introduced me to Zen meditation, and I got deeply into that for a while. And that led to um, to yoga, and then to self-hypnosis. Um, and then, you know, one thing I know that you and I share, David, that we've talked about before is uh, I was introduced to Werner Erhard and the what was then the S training, later became the the landmark education. And I was profoundly impacted by uh, training and teaching in that discipline for uh, a number of years. And then Aikido, as you mentioned, has probably been my most consistent ongoing practice and, and, uh, and teacher. 
I don't practice much on the mat anymore, but I trained and taught for 15 years. And I had previously learned a lot about self-defense from, uh, from practicing Kenpo Karate and Tai Chi. Um, but I found that those were both ultimately frustrating, that they, they didn't fully align with my uh, own emerging inner philosophy. And when I finally found Aikido, I realized that there was a path by which one could train to be uh, limitlessly powerful and at the same time limitlessly gentle because uh, Aikido is a nonviolent martial art and it's very powerful. The founder of, um, of Aikido was a master martial artist in Japan in, back in the 50s and 60s. Um, and he uh, was really one of these kind of unbeatable uh, martial heroes, um, but he found it frustrating himself and went off into the mountains to meditate. It's kind of the classic story where he finally had this enlightenment experience where he literally realized the oneness that he was with all of nature and realized that the what he what he said was the true budo, the true martial art, would be the loving protection of all beings and, and making the world one family. And so that's when he started combining the energy awareness and technical skill that he had into an art that neutralized aggression without having to injure people. And so I was just blown away. The first day that I experienced that, I committed myself to it and trained for, for the next 15 years. And though I don't train uh, specifically on the mat anymore, I use it every day in everything that I do, whether it's you know relating to my family, my coworkers, uh, relating to, you know, would-be detractors on social media or, uh, or just looking to, to find strategies for resolving issues out in the world without depending on uh, collecting power over other people and then coercing people to get what you want them to do, to get them to do that, rather than, um, than actually using power to protect oneself and one's loved ones and, and, and all beings, but resolving uh, the conflicts by finding the commonality and mutual values and then solutions that are win-win rather than win-lose. So I would say the biggest challenges uh, these days are when I see another war getting started and realize, okay, here we go again, you know, there's a million innocent people could die because of some fake agenda to take over somebody's oil or, or take, take, you know, steal their gold or make sure that they're a part of the Rothschild Rockefeller banking cabal. You know, the real hidden reasons behind this so-called, you know, uh, nation building and making the world safe for democracy that most people are, are finally seeing through. So that's, that's a really challenging one for me to just not be able to wave a wand and, and have that uh, be gone. Another is, I mean, just this morning, I, I walked out on uh, the deck where I live in, in Northern California, and I looked up and there were a dozen chemtrails over my head in a crisscross pattern. And I've studied these deeply for many years, and I know the kinds of toxins and poisons that are being covertly dumped on truly probably a billion people all over the world. This is a global phenomenon now. And not being able to just once again, wave the wand and have that that gone, and then to see the the just you know my friends, my uh, the people in my community, the people that I communicate with in in uh, 
in social media and just the news from around the world about how people are losing their homes and devastating their their lives, their, their lives just falling apart economically and people getting sick and sick and dumbed down in, in your propaganda institutions and so forth. That just keeping my heart open, uh, but not being completely withered by the suffering that is um, is still rampant on the planet while trying to put my optimum energy into doing absolutely everything that I can do to um, clear humanity of those problems, to find the solutions by which all of that is unnecessary. And I'm really encouraged. You know, one of the things that really keeps me going is that, you know, we have these millions of people in, in our network now, and we hear from thousands of them every week. And we just hear what people are doing in every single major issue. There are people all over the world who are working for justice. They're working for um, environmental sanity. They're you know, working for economic um, recovery. And just to know that that's really the core of what being human is and that that's going on all over the planet keeps the wind beneath our wings. It makes us feel like, okay, we've got allies everywhere and we're all joining together around the principles of integrity and uh, non-aggression uh, rather than, you know, my political party is the one who should rule over you, or I have more money than you, therefore I should be able to tell you what to do, or, I, I, you know, I should have the power and you should, uh, you should follow my edicts. So just the, being engaged in that conversation with people all over the world, you know, like yourself, David, who are really doing things in independent media, doing things in health, assisting people in the transformation of consciousness. Uh, Kimberly and I are actually more encouraged than we've been in the last 15 years, because even though the what we call the global domination agenda is still moving relentlessly toward total tyranny, that house of cards is collapsing. People are waking up. There, the uh, all the the scams are being exposed, whether it's economy or health or environment, whatever. And the emerging wave of consciousness that we're seeing, where not only a, a new the new paradigm of people realizing their their cosmic oneness, but actually putting that into action, putting the work that they've done on inner liberation into standing up and speaking up and coordinating with other people to manifest that inner liberation as freeing uh, all of our lives uh, in the outer world as well. I hear you. Um, could you speak, you know, while we're on this sort of theme of your personal journey and how it relates to your work and your unfoldment, could you talk about the role that your wife, your dear wife, Kimberly has played in both um, your personal journey and in the nature of the work that you're doing together? Well, absolutely. That's my favorite topic. So you may have to stop me at some point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just feel so fortunate to have found a true soul partner. Um, and by that, I, I mean someone uh, who really gets me and and uh, loves me anyway <laughs> and really uh, listens and inspires me with her action never sells out her own integrity for anything um, and just expresses compassion um, and a zealous activism uh, into the world in a way that you know, benefits all of humanity and I get to be 
the fortunate person who wakes up next to that um, every day. And we found that our purposes were so aligned that it was really a, a mutual fulfillment for us to create Thrive Together. And, uh, you know, as fate would have it, Kimberly has um, a profound film background. She comes from a, a famous filmmaking family in Hollywood. Her father was an Academy Award winning producer, uh, making uh, especially the films of Jack Lemmon. Um, and her uh, brother is an Academy Award winning production designer who works with uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg and James Cameron on movies like Avatar and Lincoln and Jurassic Park and uh, and uh, IA, I mean, sorry, AI um, and Goonies and, and many others. And so she grew up around that, and her, her dad used to pick her up from school and take her into the studio to watch dailies. And he really, he really respected her opinion from a very early age. But mainly she saw people sitting around, oftentimes in their living room, sharing a vision with each other creatively. And she saw the, the light in people's eyes as, they were the, the, as their visions were coming together. And then, you know, a year or two later, a film would come out that would affect millions of people across the planet. So she saw literally dreams being manifest. And so she, she holds that relentless opti optimism, but a really grounded capability to make things happen. Uh, it, she's a, a masterful executive. She's run many companies and foundations and, and so forth over the years. But she brings a real sensibility to the filmmaking that was um, really complementary to the lifelong research that I had done. Because I would describe myself in Buckminster Fuller's terms as a comprehensivist. I've always basically been interested in everything and how it fits together and how it, it can actually serve you know, humanity thriving. So my research is really vast and I never could have been able to cut that down into a two hour movie myself. But she has a tremendous sense of what are the most important pieces, how do they fit together into a compelling narrative, and then how can we communicate that in a way where the layperson doesn't have to worry that they don't understand math or physics or geometry or history or economics or all the things that you know so many people get intimidated by because we're we're not taught the simple principles that, in school. So, so we've had an absolute blast making the movie together. And I, let me tell you just two anecdotes that I think kind of encapsulate the, the spirit of our, of our co-creation. When we first started the making the movie, we sat down and talked to each other and we've both done a lot of big projects. And, and so we said, okay, this is going to be huge. So what's it going to take for us to thrive while we're making the movie? And one thing uh, we made two agreements. The first one was that the project will never be more important than our relationship. The relationship, the quality of the relationship and our love will always be primary. And that was huge because no matter what the stress of a deadline was, what time in the middle of the night it was, what, however much was going on, uh, we held to that the entire time. And it, therefore, it only you know, deepened our trust um, and just enhanced the love in, in our relationship. I recommend that to anyone who's going out there working with your partners on any project. Um, and the second one was that we agreed to never uh, stop short of complete fulfillment on this project. We realized this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And we agreed that neither of us would ever have to 
sell out to what we call a cringe factor. And that's when you've put all this time and money into making a movie that you care deeply about. But when the movie shows, you know, a particular parts coming up and you cringe because you know, it wasn't what you really meant, or it wasn't the quality level that really expressed who you were. So that ended up being very challenging a lot of times because we would think one of us would think we were very close to completion on a particular section of the script or the, the film itself or the music or whatever it was. But if the other person didn't feel fully satisfied with it, then we would talk about it and it, was, it would be back to the drawing board. And sometimes that would be months more working on a, on a visual effect of a particular geometry or something like that. And it would cost more money and it would cost time and it would delay our, our premiere and so forth. But we never sold out to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why the film has been so universally um, appealing to people from all different cultures, all different, you know, genders, ages, ethnicities, and so forth, is that uh, we stayed committed to that quality and just really telling the truth, whatever it took, but in a way that, that expressed the beauty that, that we were committed to. So that, that's what was one key piece. And then another one that, that really speaks to who Kimberly was in this process, because she was the, the main producer. Um, she was a co-writer of the script, um, and she was the co-director with another man named Stephen Gagne. And one day, um, we were on the set, and we were just starting into chapter three of the film which is the global domination agenda. And for those of you who've seen it, you know, it, it's, it's uh, act three. It's the, it's the darkest part where we go really go down into the, the depths of the, the, uh, the dangers that we're in and the evil behavior that, that is being done to, to so many human beings. So it's a challenging one to talk about. And I'm, you know, a pretty calm and soft-spoken guy but when I get into thinking about the billions of lives that have been destroyed by the cruelty of a few individuals uh, for their own sick needs, uh, I can get very passionate. And so I started narrating this particular part, and Kimberly was just wonderful with me. She would say, okay, now I really get you feel strongly about this. I want you to try it one more time, and this time I want you to come from the – the optimism and clarity that you have about a way out for humanity and keep your passion alive, but don't fill the emotional space for the viewer with your own drama or with your own anger or with your own fear or sadness or whatever. Leave space for the viewer to have their own experience. And it took 19 takes before I finally found that place that she was calling forth in me where I was just conveying the information in a true and passionate, but also compassionate way. Um, and this was a lot of the feminine energy that she was really bringing to the, the film. And so once we got that, uh, I took a break, stepped off the set, and I noticed that most of our crew was in tears. They had been really moved in a, in a really wonderful way by, by what I had just said, but even more by how I had just said it. And that was a transformative moment in my life 
because I realized that's the power of the feminine energy. And so many films had been done about banking or con conspiracy or pollution or, you know, um, pharmaceuticals or whatever. But they were usually done by angry, ranting males. And it was very difficult for young people, for women, for older people to listen to it in a way where they really wanted to take in the information. So very much that ended up being the tone of the of the whole film and the website and everything that we that we do. Uh, and that, again, is one of the reasons why I think so many people have really not only taken the information in all across the planet, but passed out the film in their workplace and to their to their kids and to their spouses, uh, you know, because they trusted the, the package that we'd put the information in. So those are some examples of how absolutely indispensable um, and incredibly creative Kimberly has been in the whole process. Well, you're a blessed man. And that was a wonderful story. And I, I, I can tell how much you love Kimberly and it, it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, do you want to talk about, I think this might be a nice segue from the personal to the collective challenges. Do you want to talk about how Thrive the Movie was funded? Well, yeah, so it's pretty simple. We funded it ourselves with, uh, frankly, most of the resources uh, that that we had left. It was uh, <laughs> it was definitely a uh, it was a risk financially to spend that much of our uh, personal savings, but we knew that we had to make the film that was completely integrous with our own vision. And so we funded it all the way through the first rough cut. And once we had a cut of the movie where people could see exactly what we were intending to say, then we invited other investors in. And there were millions of dollars more uh, that went into the movie from other investors, but they were only investors who both totally believed in what we were saying and didn't try to change it at all and whom we trusted. We turned down uh, a few investors who were offering major amounts of money, but that um, that for one reason or another, we really didn't feel would be uh, appropriate synergy on our team. And so that, you know, mo a lot of that funds uh, come from inheritance that I got from my father and from my grandfather. Um, going back, a lot of that went back originally to the Procter & Gamble company. Uh, my great-great-grandfather was one of the founders of Procter & Gamble. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm five generations later, so uh, a lot of that uh, is gone by the time it, it got to me. But still, I inherited enough um, that it was really a blessing that, that if, I, if I took care of that resource responsibly, then at least I could choose what I wanted to do with my life and not you know, complain about uh, my job or feel that I had to live somebody else's vision. And that, I think, is the greatest gift that I got from my ancestors and from the success of, of that company um, was the opportunity to really dive into that my quest of what's, what's in the way of our thriving and uh, what can we do about it. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful to, uh, for that opportunity. Do you think this is part of a larger trend of people today that come from wealthy families who maybe have been part of the control agenda in the past who are saying, no, 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 we're, we're, 
we're not going to go along with that. We're going to use our resources for upliftment. Oh, I'm happy to say that, that I've been completely confirmed in that hope. <clears throat> in fact, since um, Thrive came out, <clears throat> we've been contacted by several members of the uh, Rothschild and Rockefeller family, as well as a number of other uh, you know, elite banking and uh, corporate families. Uh, and who've asked for private meetings with us and and first of all usually confirmed that everything that we said in the movie was true and more um, and then who have shared with us their despair about uh, growing up and realizing the legacy that they had become a, that they were inadvertently a part of and then the the challenge of dealing with their family and dealing with their resources in a way that felt more responsible and that felt true to who they truly were as individuals. Because we know we name a lot of names in, in Thrive, but, but uh, we also make it very clear that we don't accuse anyone just because their last name is something or other. Uh, we judge people by, um, by their lives, you know, by their actions. Do their actions meet their words and, and do their words uh, meet a vision that is healthy for humanity? Um, or is it destructive? Is it uh, about greed and control and so forth? So it's been really exciting. And I, I look forward to future media events where we're hoping to have gatherings of, of uh, uh, you know, descendants from some of these families who are really waking up. And I'll give you one example, not, not by name, but one young man in his early 30s uh, is a member of one of those families. Um, and he is using all of his wealth uh, for one project after another to benefit humanity. And his two major areas of focus are alternative currencies, which really uh, sidestep the banking system, um, and free energy, which could uh, dramatically alter the economics of everyone's life on the planet very quickly uh, and take you know, billions of people out of poverty you know, in, in a few decades. So that's just one example of the, the type of thing that we're seeing. So it really gives us great uh, encouragement for the emerging of new paradigms and new types of, of activism and collaboration uh, as these new generations come along in the, in the families and their, their new plans for uh, applying and redistributing that wealth is actually very exciting. Yeah, that's, this sounds to me like... Uh... Excuse me. This sounds to me like an important part of the healing process Absolutely. that needs to happen. And uh, I'd like to bring up a topic now that if you don't want to go there, just uh, tell me and no problem. But I was wondering, given the central role that you seem to be playing in the waking up drama of humanity, have you had any direct extraterrestrial contact with the wiser uh, contingent? Um, and if so, is there anything you're at liberty to share about that and about the role of the wiser benevolent beings who are not terrestrial in the healing process of the planet? No, sure. I'd be happy to go there. They're, they're, uh, as people know who, who have seen Thrive, there's very few topics that I wouldn't be delighted to go into, and those would be only a, a function of 
uh, personal privacy or safety. Um, but the, the extraterrestrial one is one that we brought up and really went into in the film because it, um, we're convinced that it's a, a hugely important part of you know, humanity's waking up right now. And I'll, I'll speak personally first. Um, I have never uh, been consciously in the presence of an incorporated uh, extraterrestrial being, you know, in a body or a ship or something like that. I saw a UFO uh, quite close to me when I was in college, and it opened a window in my brain that never closed and I'm sure never will in terms of what's possible and what's going on. Um, I would say that my uh, contact with what I would call wiser entities um, has been much more uh, inner, what I would call more um, interdimensional beings. You know, the, the famous... UFO researcher Jacques Vallée, who was the role model for the the figure of the French UFO researcher in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, from his research, he has, has estimated that the extraterrestrial contact, which is going on all over the planet, by his estimate is uh, something like 80% non-physical. He describes most of it as telepathic, as inner contact. And I, I think that probably makes a lot of sense. And that is, has been more where my personal influence has been. Uh, I've had a number of experiences that were so far beyond my rational mind in terms of the, the clarity that I was shown at critical moments um, that I'm con convinced that of the reality and the usefulness of that phenomenon, however one wants to explain it. I was... Uh, studying at a place called the Monroe Institute back in Virginia, where they've been studying the beyond-the-body experiences for almost 50 years back there. Um, and I, one night after everyone else had gone to, to sleep, I uh, used the inductions that we were being taught, which are, you know, by no coincidence, uh, uh, toroidal in nature. They have to do with uh, resonant frequencies, uh, toroidal uh, visualizations, uh, kind of enhancing the, the natural toroidal energy field around your body and then focusing the mind in certain ways that moves one through portals into uh, other uh, frequency realms, other dimensions of, of consciousness. And I decided to ask, um, there was a lot of talk amongst the trainers about, you know, your higher selves, your your interdimensional entities, your guardian angels and so forth. And I was open to the possibility, but I had never had any direct experience. Um, and I thought sometimes people would use guardian angels just as sort of, you know, religious convenience or to put responsibility uh, for the problems in their lives on off onto some magical, you know, special friend who would come and take care of it for them. So I, I was um, quite skeptical. So I decided to uh, see if I could move myself into the sort of states that we had had been taught and, and then ask that question. And, I, you know, within about... 15 minutes, I was in the most powerful energy state I'd ever experienced in my life, just these waves of bliss uh, moving up to my head and back to my feet and up and down through my body. And it was just ecstatic. But then I thought to myself, okay, well, that's great, but so what? You know, what do I want to do with this energy? And the first thing was I asked, you know, I said, okay, if I have guardian angels of some sort, please give me a sign. And I, I thought I'd have to wait a while and probably nothing would happen. Within seconds, there was this glowing egg-shaped light being. Uh, there were two of them, one on either side of the bed that I was lying on. Um, and I felt such warmth coming from these beings. 
uh, not you know physical heat, but just inner warmth um, flowing into me. That tears immediately started just flowing down my cheeks at the the profound nature of the experience for me. And I just said, thank you. I will never have to ask again. And I often, you know, consult with these beings now. I feel their presence quite often. I know that they've been tremendously helpful and generous um, at key times. And one thing that, that, that led to was 15 years ago, I uh, was involved in a lot of very deep kind of new energy, um, you know, scientific research. And it was so complex. I, I was wanting to model the periodic table of elements in 3D computer graphics. And that gets so complex that, it, frankly, it's never been done. Um, and so I would get very frustrated sometimes sitting at my desk just kind of drawing pictures of what I thought different shells of the electrons and protons and so forth would look like for different atoms. That I would, I would just, my mind would reach a barrier and just stop. So I would I finally learned to just get up and take a walk out in the woods or to sit down and meditate or just to ask a question and take a nap. And I started being shown uh, the answers to the questions that I was asking. And it was so moving for me that I made a commitment to the, to the universe. I said, if you will show me the answers to the questions that I'm asking, I will collect them, I will cohere them, and I will get them back out into the world in as compelling a fashion as possible. So I bought a little micro recorder and put it in my pocket and carried it for the next 15 years. And uh, I would always have it on the the, uh, nightstand next to my bed. And it it was a bother sometimes because I would get up during the night when I'd be having these dreams or or visions um, and I would record what I was being shown. And I'd wake up in the morning and sometimes there'd be a dozen messages on this machine. So I would listen back to them and type out what I had, had said. And sometimes they made absolutely no sense at all. And other times it was like, oh my God, I, for- I would have totally forgot that. And that was exactly what I needed. And that process ended up not only leading me through the entire periodic table based on 12 geometric um, postulates that I had come to understand, uh, but also it started affecting other aspects of my life uh, and really very much led to the creation and the story of, of Thrive because I was being shown uh, the key elements of, of that story. So is that extraterrestrial influence? I, I don't know. It certainly doesn't come from what I studied in school. I mean, I, I've learned enough and studied enough to be a ripe field for the planting of, of new seeds to grow. So. So I was ready to understand visions that other people wouldn't have made any sense to other people. But there were things that I could not have figured out with my rational mind. And uh, that has guided the process of Thrive all along. And as I was visiting uh, what one might call free energy labs, the the very advanced technology where where different inventors are pulling uh, energy right out of space itself in a clean and safe way. And we go into that in depth in the movie. Um, As I would gain the trust of various inventors, I would ask them, I said, you know, where do you get these brilliant ideas? You know, how did you come up with this stuff? And I would say over 90% of the inventors, of the ones who have been successful in actually creating these types of technologies, over 90% of them have told me that it has come at key points from either direct contact with with uh, visible extraterrestrial beings, uh, or it has come through 
interdimensional entities in what they just refer to as uh, downloads or you know access to the so-called akashic records so clearly uh, it's a very profound piece of the creativity that's emerging right now and one other piece that i'll say because this takes it more into the like political econo economic realms is that since thrive came out people have recognized that kimberly and i know a lot from our studies about what's going on behind the curtain and that we're willing to take a fair amount of risks in order to get those truths out to people so we have been contacted by major players uh, in really all centers of power from the government to corporations to intelligence agencies to the military uh, and on and on and one of the intriguing things that we found is the higher you get up in the uh, in these echelons uh, if they trust you, they start sharing about the role that extraterrestrial and interdimensional entities are playing. And I would say in virtually every one of those realms, we've been stunned to hear stories about how, you know, at the top of these particular pyramids, they're all dealing directly with these kinds of entities. So it, it's a, I know it can just sound crazy to people who've had no experience of it and who've been subjected to the propaganda of, oh, yeah, these are you know, little green men from uh, from Mars or something like that, because it, it's been so insulted intentionally in the public discourse ever since, you know, the Roswell incident in 1947, that it's, you know, it, it's not socially uh, acceptable oftentimes to talk about these these topics, but it's really at the core. The, the arrogance to think that we're the only beings, sentient beings in the universe is just almost unimaginable. And the, the notion that, they, that there aren't real beings who have been visiting us when there's recorded stories, artwork, eyewitness testimonies uh, from high-level military, FAA, and uh, governmental officials and, and so forth, you know, into the thousands, and plus, you know, hundreds of hours of, of UFO footage and so forth. If you don't see the, at least the possibility of it right now, I would say to anyone, it's because you don't want to. And that, you know, that's up to everyone to do it at their own timing, but it's definitely worth looking into. Now, have you been concerned about either your own physical safety or your wife's physical safety? And have you taken steps in terms of uh, disseminating key information such that uh, any attempt to harm you or your wife would be would, would completely backfire? Yeah. <clears throat> well, there have been times you know particularly in the making of thrive when we would get extremely concerned about potential outcomes and so forth we've gotten so accustomed to that and we've taken and continue to take every strategic step that we know how to take under the guidance of real experts in, in this department that I, I would say it's really not an issue before you know anymore we continue to be very careful and yeah as you mentioned um you know, we have backup servers in, you know, numerous offshore countries for our website. And um, we we made the whole entire film on encrypted lines with our team that was in, in cities all over the country. Um, and then when the film came out, rather than go to film festivals and, and try to come out in theaters, our major concern was uh, something happening to us or the film getting shut down with some frivolous lawsuit or something to try to tie it up so the information wouldn't get out. So we made a lot of sacrifices, uh, particularly financially, to uh, to bring it out in a day on the Internet in 10 languages all over the world. 
and it was already before even we brought it out it was on thousands of hard drives in case it, it, it was in case there were any attempts to suppress it so i think that whoever if, if they wanted to suppress it they realized that it it wouldn't work it was only gain more attention for the film so we've been blessedly free of of technical issues and uh we've had no um threats or untoward activities toward ourselves physically um we're very careful in terms of, of security we you know constantly scan our facilities and and um we you know have things in place that would be uh you know if people tried to mess with us or our projects in in that way, we have very skilled people who would know who they were or find out who they were um, and, and and prosecute them. Uh, you know, the, 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 their, the karma of their actions would come back very quickly on them. And we've just got wonderful people on the practical level in terms of security experts, attorneys and so forth, uh, who have been uh, protective. But even more importantly, I think, um, we have been contacted by spiritual teachers, who, uh, be, beings who channel interdimensional entities, uh, and just you know, so-called light workers, literally all over the planet from hundreds of countries, who would just congratulate us on what we've done and just reassure us that they're of their appreciation uh, for our getting this message out and letting us know that they have our backs, you know, in, in every dimension. And we were also contacted shortly after the film came out by representatives of the, the, the international computer hackers organization that calls itself anonymous. Uh, so we were anonymously contacted um, by, you know, very real people who uh, let us know that they had checked us out. They knew we were the real deal. They knew what we were saying was true and they, and that they had our backs. So it just, you know, we, we know that we're not alone. We're, we know that we're not going to spend our, our lives, you know, cringing on some, desert island sipping Mai Tais while our children and grandchildren and our species, you know, planet is under dire threat. So we're, we're feeling very grateful to be able to fulfill our mission and really thankful for the, uh, the support and protection uh, on all levels. That's great. Do you have, do you and Kimberly have children together? Not together. No. Um, We got together um, in 2003 Actually, we got together um, at a think tank just before the beginning of the making of Thrive, uh, and we decided to make uh, Thrive together. And so um, I would say Thrive is one of our children. <laughs> and then we've got a couple of wonderful uh, uh, cats, and we each have uh, children you know, from uh, earlier in, in our lives that you know all know each other and love each other and get and get together. But I. Uh, it would have been much more challenging to put in the time that we needed to. We spent eight years making Thrive in the website. And so it was, it was very convenient that, uh, they were, that we were empty nested by that time. Okay. Well, let me use this uh, subject of children to segue into a topic that is very dear to my heart. And that is, uh, I have a strong sense that there's a very powerful potential synergy between our generation, the baby boomer generation, and the millennials, and that uh, we have a lot to offer each other, and each generation has their blind spots and their strengths, and that um, it's really the maturation of the millennial generation that will really see this process through. 
And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that cross-pollination between the baby boomers and the millennials, and if you are actively involved in that at all. Yes, we're really enjoying uh, that kind of cross-generational pollination. Uh, Kimberly herself has uh, been involved for decades with youth leaders from around the world, and I also have worked with a lot of young people in the projects uh, that we're doing. We, um, Kimberly and I are both in our 60s, and we're both blessed with very good health, and we take good care of ourselves. But we know that um, we don't have now and won't have for, for very long the kind of energy that, um, you know, that we had in our 20s, 30s, and, and 40s. So one of our requests of the universe was that we would encounter uh, people of, uh, you know, big hearts and uh, capable minds and, uh, and of practical skill sets to help us carry forward the um, knowledge of the strategies and principles that are central to the Thrive Movement. And so, you know how it is when you genuinely ask the universe for something, it's, it's usually startling how fulfilling the response is. <clears throat> so we have, we're blessed with numerous people in the, you know, the millennials, the extras generation, and even, even teenagers <clears throat> now at this point, uh, who are so remarkably awake and aware and just committed to a thriving world. So um, we're coaching them on how to, to thrive with a balanced life with their many years ahead while applying themselves toward effective activism without burning themselves out. And one of the things that they're doing is <clears throat> helping show us how to have a really good time while you're doing all of this. And that's one of the things that we've been really blessedly uh, <clears throat> learning from them is they look at, at, our gen- at the boomer generation and you know, they're grateful for a lot of the, the good activism that we've done. Um, but at the same time, they've seen too many of us just kind of burn out and they've seen the, you know, the infighting amongst different movements and political parties and all that stuff. And they've just told us, you know, we don't really want any part of that. And we're like, hallelujah, thank you. It's not necessary. It only gets in the way, but it takes real communication skills. It takes uh, in-depth training in conflict resolution. It takes a deep understanding of the principles of decision-making in groups, in couples and families and so forth, to actually manifest the desire for harmony that most of us share but find very challenging. So, yeah, I think it's a really important point, and the people in the Thrive Movement are just, uh, you know, of all different ages and perspectives. You know, one of the people that I interviewed, did an in-depth interview with in, in this podcast series is a young man that I don't know if you've crossed paths with, but it might be a really powerful connection. Have you ever spoken with Joshua Gorman, the founder of Generation Waking Up? I have. I really enjoy Joshua a lot. In fact, he... He was in one of our uh, our screening groups before we put out the film. We made sure to invite a lot of young, uh, vibrant leaders to come and review the film while we were still, you know, making changes to it to make sure that um, that it worked for them as well. And Joshua was was one of those people, and we we had very fruitful conversations, and we've been delighted to see that um, that he really uses the Thrive meme in a lot of the workshops that he does. 
Oh, great. I'm glad you guys have that connection. So I'd like to kind of continue to take this conversation more into more down to earth, more tactical, informational domain. And that is that a lot of my listeners, a lot of my tribe, they're very aware of the game, the control agenda that's going on on the planet, and they're they're doing their best. And it seems like, you know, of course, I my perception is tempered by who I am and where I'm located in the world. But what I see is I see some of the most challenging aspects for lightworkers is the financial game and also the the health game. You know, you mentioned the chemtrails, there's the GMOs, there's the lousy topsoil, there's the vaccination thing, and on and on and on and on and on and on. And a lot of light workers are energetically sensitive to begin with. So there's the whole physical, etheric body health game. And then it seems like a lot of the people that really know what's going on and have their heart in the right place and have the information are really, you know, especially those that have wives or husbands and children are really struggling every month to make ends meet, especially people that are living in high cost areas like the Bay Area. And uh, is there anything you can say both in terms of practical suggestions and also in terms of maybe some breakthroughs that from your perspective you see are on the horizon in the uh, in the health and well-being game and in the the money game? Sure. Um, kind of as a way of uh, seeding the field for that, um, let's stroll down memory lane, you and me, for, for a moment to think of some of the things that that I really learned from Werner, which, which is stuck in my head, are things like when he said the experience of love begins with allowing someone to be exactly the way they are. That's the, that's the essence of the Aikido blend, is recognizing reality and blending with it before you try to lead it somewhere. Because as he also said, what you resist persists. In fact, I think one of the most profound things that I learned from him is the principle of what, what he called recreation. Now, this is not just standard recreation, like you know going out and playing or something like that. By recreation, he meant recreating something in your consciousness exactly the way it is. And it's a principle that most people aren't aware of. But when somebody is, is communicating with you, if you truly recreate the, their intention, what they're really trying to communicate, their meaning to you, if you truly recreate that in your consciousness, they will know it and they will feel fully heard. And the conversation will go to the next level. And if they do that to you, then it goes to the next level. And what I found is that principle of recreation holds true at every level, as far as I can tell. Same thing in Aikido. If someone's attacking you, instead of resisting them, if you get out of the way and then you recreate, you literally shape yourself to, to match their energy in the direction that it's going, then the attack disappears. And then you can lead it to some sort of peaceful resolution and the energy moves to a, a whole nother level. So these... Um, and in fact, anybody who's interested in really looking into this, if you, you go to thrivemovement.com 
uh, go to Fostering Kimberly's blog. I do, we did a visualization and we did a visual effects uh, video blog on this whole principle of, of recreation that you'll see there. But the reason I'm saying this now is that, that the way out of these uh, health disasters and out of these economic collapses and so forth, to me, it all comes back to a recognition of how the universe works and then a recreation of reality the way it is. And let me give you an example of that. Um, in the economic area, uh, most people don't want to hear that the entire economic system, the Federal Reserve, the fiat money, the fractional reserve lending and so forth, they don't want to hear that this is some intentional um, Ponzi scheme that it is a corrupt coercion that sucks up the wealth from most people's lives into the hands of an elite few who are actually running the game. Because to, to allow that in is to entertain that we are in danger and that there are people out there who, are, who actually wake up with malevolent intentions in the morning. And most of us don't hang around with people like that. But if you don't recognize that there are people like that, then you can be in deep trouble. When I taught Aikido, the first thing I would teach my students was the primary directive of self-defense is an accurate assessment of your reality. Because if you only see one attacker coming from the front, and there's two more coming from the back, you're going to get your head crushed from the, by the people in the back. So it doesn't do any good to put your head in the sand and think, oh, well, I'll just think nice thoughts. I won't put any, my attention into any of this so-called negativity, and my spiritual being will work it out. You know, if you're doing that, um, well, good luck. And, you know, hopefully there's enough people who are actually willing to open their eyes and take, you know, harmonious action, powerful but peaceful action to resolve those, those threats that, you know, that you'll be okay. But it would it'd be really nice to have everyone's help a, along the way. So in, in the economic situation that we're in, most people will realize now, even though we're so – the so-called recovery from the recession is going on. The whole thing has only been engineered by fake money. The Federal Reserve has been printing an average of $75 billion a month since 2008, and that's not real money. It's just fake entries on a computer screen that are given to the bankers. They hoard most of it, give, give the rest to corporations that you know, at, uh, at cheap uh, interest rates and so forth, and very little gets down to people's lives. And so this bubble of the you know, stock market being over 18,000 and so forth is, is really a fantasy. I mean, the profits are real amongst the people who are benefiting from it, and, but they're buying gold, they're buying yachts, they're buying property with barbed wire fences around it because they know what's coming if we don't change our, our ways um, very quickly. So if we are willing to confront that reality and literally recreate the uh, the destructive designs of the would-be controllers, then the energy can move to the next level. And then those of us who are aware of it can take action. And that's what the whole Thrive Movement is, is inviting people into for solutions at every level. So then, okay, well then what kind of actions do you take? Because I hope people are waking up to the fact that the, that the Republicans aren't going to solve this problem. And if you happen to be a Democrat and you think the Democrats are going to be a problem, good luck. You've got your head in the sand. It's never worked out that way. 
the Republicans and the Democrats are a very effective puppet show by the banking elite to keep people thinking that we have choice. And, you know, there, there are some social issues which get some laws changed now and then, and oftentimes they get changed back in the next regime, and sometimes there's some real progress. But meanwhile, we're being distracted to miss out on the fact that the government is getting more and more power. They're waging the, these endless wars. They're taking over education. They're taking over health care. They're taking over the banking system. Uh, they, and I could go on and on. You, you, know, you get the picture. Probably your listeners know most of this uh, already. So the key that I try to communicate to people is the way out of this is principles, not politics. We're being duped by politics. So then the question is, of course, okay, well then, if the answer isn't just to get so-called enlightened leaders, you know, to get the people who agree with you in power so that then they're the ones who take people's money against their will and tell them what they can and can't do, this never worked out. It always, every time throughout history, leads to tyranny. So the solution and what, what the whole Thrive Movement Solutions Network is about is solutions that are based on integrity. In other words, an honest money system, real money. You know, if, if somebody's loaning out money, it's because they have money and you pay a real interest rate for borrowing their money the same way if you'd, uh, you'd pay for, you know, renting a, a, a rototiller or, you know, a car or something like that if you needed it. Um, so the integrity is at the core of it all. So what we're really envisioning in the movie and the website is a, is a free society where there are rules but no rulers. And the rules protect against fraud, against counterfeit, against breach of contract. But even more, of course, they protect against violations of, uh, of uh, individual property. And by individual property, that begins with one's own body. There are a lot of people who say, well, there shouldn't be personal property. You know, the communists said that. The socialists, you know, we're going that direction uh, as well. And so, and it sounds nice. Well, we'll redistribute everything. Everything will be commonly owned and then everybody will have enough. Well, it's, that's not what happened in socialism, communism, fascism, or even obviously now in, the, the, in so-called democracy, which is really, uh, when you come down to it, it it's, it's mob rule. So the, the core principle that we suggest in Thrive that can actually get us out of this lethal mess that humanity uh, has been sucked into is what's called the non-aggression principle. And all that means is, is nobody gets to initiate force against anyone else except in true defense, true self-defense if you're already being attacked. Now, that sounds obvious. Oh, isn't that just the golden rule? You know, be kind, do no harm. And we've found this is the one thing that we, and we've been all over the world with Thrive, is the one thing we've found that every single individual we've ever talked to agrees to is they don't want to be violated against their will. So maybe the universe is showing us, just like the torus is the, the fundamental pattern of a sustainable system at every level, maybe this is the principle, since human beings all agree to it already, that no one gets to violate it, um, anyone else against their will. So, so what's the problem then, if we all agree to that? Well, if you turn right, or if you say, okay, no one gets to violate uh, another person, they don't get to harm their, their person, their property, um, then you turn right around and support government whatever your party is being in charge of government, government by its definition only survives by taking people's money, whether they like it or not. And this is not popular for people to look at. This is one of those moments where we need to, to take the blinders off and realize when you take somebody's money, 
without their permission, that's stealing, that's theft, that's plunder, and it's not okay. You know, we teach our kids, you know, in kindergarten, you know, don't take that, that, that toy, that's Bobby's, ask them for it. You know, don't hit, that's not nice. Uh, these same principles are being violated by the very government that we're trained is our savior, and it's not working out well, and, and, and it never has. So it's a scary thought for people, but it's also a liberating one. What people need to realize is it doesn't mean that we wouldn't have organization. You would still have uh, independent security organizations that you can call to keep you safe and, and to keep us from you know, invasion from other people who want to steal our stuff and so forth. You would still have independent dispute resolution organizations with justice based on non-violation rather than on legislators who are bought out by corporations inventing literally thousands of new laws every year that are just arbitrary and, and serve almost always just serve vested interests. The real laws that protect individual rights and, and property and sovereignty, those would all still still be in place. And there would be real um, independent insurance organizations, not the corrupt, you know, AIG type of government subsidized um, insurance organizations. But if anyone were either as an individual or an organization, if they were violating uh, the fundamental laws of voluntary interaction by doing fraud, by doing counterfeit, by doing theft, et cetera, they would immediately be prosecuted in the dispute resolution organizations. Um, they would lose their insurance because they were proven to be violating. People wouldn't want to do business with them. Um, and individuals wouldn't be able to hide behind the government, behind the uh, corporate liability uh, clauses and, and that type of thing. They would be individual, individually prosecuted for violation in such a way that, that they would need to make restitution to their victims. And then they would need to prove their trustworthiness by establishing a new track record uh, of non-violation. So all of this is really, it was really new to me 10 years ago when I was introduced to it. And I spent months defending uh, my political points uh, of view until I realized that I wasn't making any sense. I was in ethical quicksand and I finally opened my mind to be trained by, you know, some of the most forward thinking, intelligent people I've ever come across and have studied intensely, literally hours a day for the last, you know, eight to 10 years about how all of this could work. Most people still have no awareness of this, and I, you know, I've really dedicated the rest of my life to teaching these principles because I think if humanity doesn't learn this and soon, we're doomed because of the weapons of mass destruction, you know, whether it be the chemical, biological, nuclear, whatever that, that exists. And I think that this applies not only to human beings, but throughout the cosmos, the fundamental principle is don't subjugate yourself to anyone, anyone else against your will, and don't think that you can control uh, or coerce anyone else uh, against their will. So this is really what's at the leading edge for me personally and of the Thrive Movement, and I feel so relieved and excited to have discovered it. The three primary discoveries of my life was first of all Aikido when I found that you could be uh, be really powerful without being violent and you could resolve conflict that way and secondly when I saw the free energy devices and realized that you can access unlimited power in a safe clean way as long as you don't violate natural energy flows in the process and then the third major discovery is what we call the liberty perspective 
where the wholeness represented by the tor the torus uh, form, this you know, vortex um, that's a galaxy, that's an atom, that's a, a, a solar system and so forth, and that is the energy field of a human being in every cell in our body, that the torus at the human level is not fundamentally the group. The group is a useful abstraction. It's a concept. It's a useful fiction. But if we forget that it's a fiction, then in the name of the good of the group, we end up violating individual liberties uh, under the guise of fairness. But we don't stop to think, hey, it's not fair to take somebody's stuff or to injure them or to put them in jail when they don't do what you want, as long, even when they're not harming anyone. So th these are the, the, the core principles, and they're really simple, but they're not easy. They take real study. So that's a long-winded answer, but it's obviously the, the most important thing, I think, that, um, that we're trying to communicate right now. I really appreciate that. Um, I think I take issue with, with you on one comment you made at the end there, that the group is a pure abstraction. Um, that's not my experience. My experience is that when a group of people come together and there is a deep alignment of heart and mind and will, that there is actually a new something that is created that is beyond uh, a construct in the human mind that there really, no, that there really oh, absolutely that there really is a new thing there but uh, no, i agree with you that there are energy effects that are very real that come about through the gathering of individuals but you can't touch a group there's no right. there's nothing real to uh, to a group itself, except the idea. If you reach out to touch a group, always you'll end up touching an individual. So it, it's very real that as the individuals come together, there are harmonic effects uh, that are beautiful, that are powerful, and that need to be used to solve the major problems that we have, but never at the cost of the rights of the individual is my point. Absolutely. And I get everything that you're saying, and it is a profound principle. And, you know, I know, you know, even though it's very sophomoric and overly simplified and overly romantic, obviously the popularity of Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand's work, uh, especially for young people throughout, you know, a long time now, over half a century, speaks to the fact that you're, it's pointing to this kind of truth that you're talking about. Um, yeah. What I was getting at in my question was more of uh, how we get from here to there. Like, you know, if someone's living in today's world and chemtrails are abounding and the GMOs are all are all over the place and they don't have the money to buy completely organic and they have mercury in their mouth and their kids have had a hundred vaccinations and on and on and on this assault on the body and this assault on their pocketbook of uh, of this extortion and this um, this this whole thing what can you say to that person who's who 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 is hearing what you're saying and is going yeah but what do i do tonight what do i do tomorrow what do i do next week where do i start how do i how do i get a little breathing room here yeah 
Boy, that, that is the question of our times. <clears throat> and uh, Kimberly and I have been going around the country and into other countries as well doing what we call Solutions Summit Workshops. <clears throat> and, and the whole point is to address exactly that question. And uh, people get so encouraged um, by the process that we're sharing. So I'll, I'll briefly outline that, that for you. Uh, first of all, the question of how do we get from there, from here to there, is the key one, I think, that's missing right now, even amongst what I would call um, forward-thinking liberty philosophers. Uh, it's a lot easier to imagine a kind of a, a, a utopian world than it is to figure how we're going to get there. Um, because you can't get rid of government in a day. You know, over 50% of the population is dependent directly on government programs or contracts or entitlements or welfare or whatever. Uh, so, you know, those people aren't going to vote for getting rid, rid of government. And it would obviously be tremendously chaotic if, if all the infrastructure of government um, and all that that entails disappeared right away. So in the in the film, we briefly lay out and illustrate a three-stage uh, solution process, a, a transition from here to there. And this isn't something that we recommend imposing on people. It's what we think is going to happen anyway. It's kind of identifying a natural transition and then acknowledging the wisdom of uh, the primary political groups by recognizing their role in the transition. And briefly, the, the first step is to restore as much integrity as possible to our existing systems um, while taking care of those who have been most disadvantaged and injured by the corruption of our current system. So that really acknowledges a, a lot of the best of the liberal progressive perspective, which is very experienced and quite good at taking care of people with other people's money. So there's a problem in that it's with other people's money in the long run, because you have to keep taking that, that money in order to make it happen. <clears throat> but meanwhile, what we recommend is instead of creating new taxes, while we're getting rid of old taxes that are unnecessary, um, the money is taken that from our taxes now. Uh, a lot of people think our federal income tax goes to, you know, the roads and schools and police and all that. And it doesn't, you know, hardly a penny of it does. That's mostly from local taxes. The federal uh, tax budget goes about two thirds of it goes to a combination of paying interest to the federal reserve, which is completely a scam and unnecessary. Uh, and the other is to the military budget, most of which, you know, at least half of which is also unnecessary. So we recommend getting rid of the Federal Reserve and cutting the military budget in half, we'd still have the largest military budget in the world. So obviously we could protect ourselves. We just wouldn't necessarily be able to maintain over a thousand bases, you know, control bases in countries around the world and wage these, uh, these imperialistic wars. And, but with the money that was freed up, we would not only be able to, as Lester Brown has spilled out in, in plan, spelled out in Plan B, um, the, the book Plan B, um, there's way more than enough money to get rid of uh, poverty, uh, sickness, and heal the environment, not only in the United States, but all over the world, just with the money saved by those two recommendations in a single year. So th that would fund uh, the, the transition. And instead of subsidizing, you know, big agriculture and big pharma and wars and all that kind of stuff, 
whatever subsidies would remain just for a few years would go to restoring the earth for organic farming um, and restoring you know, honest media systems that would really be telling the truth and interactive with the, the public and all that sort of thing. Uh, and helping people who don't have homes and don't have food to get them. You know, it's like the, the, the human body healing all of its parts while it's restoring its health. And, but it, we, during that time, government would be shrinking because government is fundamentally uh, based on unethical theft you know, uh, under the threat of, uh, of violence. And so we need to be getting rid of that. But what, so while that's shrinking down and these independent organizations are uh, emerging and showing their success, we're shrinking down to more of what Ayn Rand was in favor of and what Ron Paul was in favor of is what, what's referred to as minarchy, which is a minimal government, the government that, whose only purpose is to defend in, individual rights and to protect whatever is deemed to be the commons. So that's, a, a, that's stage two of our three-stage uh, transition. We strongly believe that as that is happening, um, people are going to see that, uh, that can, government continues to be the source uh, of the, the problems that remain and that all of the, the, the so-called benefits of government, be it security, education, health, whatever, that they're all done much better in a, in a private sector competing uh, for efficiency. Um, and low cost, while at the same time finally being held to, you know, ethical standards and and, and integrity. So we, what we see is that phase two will will phase itself out, and we'll naturally find ourselves in a uh, free society, uh, free of rulers. Uh, and but there would still be rules protecting um, integrity and protecting uh, individuals and, and protecting. Uh, property. So this is the way we think that it's going to happen. If it happens, and it needs to, I think, if we're going to survive, that this is the way it's naturally going to happen. But the more people who are aware of where we're sailing to, you know, if you sail out of San Francisco Bay and you want to go to Hawaii and you've only got enough food to make it there, you better know where you're going and be able to navigate. So rather than just uh, you know turn it over to the progressives or turn it over to the conservatives or libertarians or, or whatever, if if we can all see our roles in the transition to a free trans-political society, uh, then we're going to have a chance to coordinate with one another much more effectively. And I truly think that it probably in the if we were to have enough people committed to this and understanding it, that we could make the transition probably somewhere in two to four so-called presidential administrations, And people would have the opportunity to, to get themselves off of dependence on the state, which depends on stealing other people's money. They get themselves off that within, let's say, you know, eight to 16 years. Uh, and by the, by the 16th year, we would have transitioned through those two early stages and could actually end up in a in a free society, which has been proven again and again. There's a, a report called the Economic Freedom of the World Report that anybody can look up online, which correlates economic and social freedom with prosperity and security. And the, 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 uh, the correlation is just stunning and undeniable once you really look into it, that the freer people are uh, to do voluntary exchanges rather than have a centralized you know, controlled economy, particularly in the hands of a bunch of crooks, uh, and the freer they are to hire individual protection rather than be under the boot of some authoritarian 
monopoly on, on force and money, the more prosperous and the more secure people will be. And I'm convinced if humanity makes it, this is the thriving planet that we're going to be on. And this is a, a general roadmap and compass for how to get there. Do you have a general sense of the timetable for the release of free energy type devices that will really tip the balance of power? Well, this is the main thing that other than the educating about the Liberty perspective that I'm working on is uh, we have a project called Thrive Connect. We, since the film came out, we've been contacted by over uh, 400 inventors in all different fields and from countries all over the world. So we've coordinated that into a project where we've become kind of a cosmic dating service. And we're connecting uh, investors and philanthropists with uh, innovators. And uh, it's in its early stages. There's some money has flowed through, but we're, we're on the verge of being able to, uh, to flow through major funds uh, to just incredible inventors in the area of energy, uh, health, um, water purification, agriculture, and the newest one that's emerging, particularly after um, Fukushima, is decontamination. And in addition to that, we're working with many projects that are not technical in nature, but are environmental uh, innovations and uh, economic, uh, justice innovations, arts, you know, um, that type of thing, new, new types of media and, and currency and, and those sorts of things. And so in relation to the energy, for me and for Kimberly, it's not a, a technical question anymore because we've seen numerous, numerous devices that can and do work. Uh, so it's a political and economic question. And the main thing that we're trying to do right now along that line is raise the funds, literally hundreds of millions of dollars, to get uh, the best inventors that we have found uh, secured, get them the business help that they need, the legal help that they need, and the networking to get these devices you know, completed and safely out to the public. And I, what I would say by means of estimation is if we had the funds that we, um, that we need to do that, and we've actually been promised them by several different entities, but there are, it's a whole different topic, but there's a major challenge right now. If you try to move hundreds of millions of dollars, much less billions around the planet right now, uh, they will tend to be stopped or stalled or literally stolen by the very banking cabal that we exposed um, in Thrive. So that house of cards is coming down. Whole new systems are emerging, new internets, new money transfer systems, new gold exchanges. All that is emerging under the auspices of the, the BRICS countries and the Asian elders uh, and others who are looking to uh, obsolete the banking cabal and create new and honest systems. And with those new systems in place and the money free to move, I would say that within five years, we'll see over 200 companies in countries around the world who are selling new energy projects. And that's not even including the health projects and the water purification and all that. That's so exciting. Um, it really is. Do you have direct knowledge of the validity of the information that's out there about the about the Asian elder families and whether their consciousness is uh, of the light? Uh, yes, I, I'm, we are in direct contact, and that, that is an area that I can't talk specifically about in terms of names or locations or, or details. 
Um, but we've been intimately involved in that for a number of years now. And um, we are very encouraged by uh, the spirit, uh, the intention, and the resources that we uh, have, have been exposed to. Well, that's a very uh, hopeful note to begin toward wrapping up this conversation. Um, for those of you that are coming in in the middle of this, uh, this has been an in-depth interview between myself, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and Foster Gamble, and just an incredibly rich conversation. And in the last few minutes, I just want to turn it over to Foster and thank him for his wholehearted participation in the work that he's doing. And to please extend that gratitude to to his wife, Kimberly, as well, and just give you the floor and just take as much time to say anything that you would like to say in closing, and then make sure that you also announce uh, websites and any other points of contact information for people that are moved to reach out to you and your work. Great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I think the first thing that I would want to do is to elaborate a little bit on my response to your question about, you know, what can people actually do once they get motivated? Because the, the process that we teach in the solutions workshop is that you start, you know, like Michael Jackson sang with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror or the child in the mirror. And you ask yourself, so just sit down, take some time uninterrupted, sit down with a pen and paper and ask yourself, what is my purpose in life? You're the only one who knows the answer to that question, and there's not a wrong answer. So write it down. It may change from time to time, but be clear that that's the essence of who you are. So write down your purpose in life and then ask yourself, if I want to help transform the world, what sector am I most drawn to or am I most talented in or am I most passionate about? And that could be the arts. It could be spirituality. It could be worldview. It could be media or uh, it could be justice or economics. Uh, go to our website and you'll see that there are 13 sectors, the 12 sectors of the vector equilibrium uh, and then the, the central one, which is worldview, because every, every sector that you experience, you see through your own worldview. So it's a critical one. Um, and then decide what sector you would like to be most active in and then ask yourself, wh what level of engagement is the right one for me? Am I more interested in meeting immediate needs? And that means if you're a doctor, you know, going to Africa where they don't have health care and helping out. If you've got some extra time, you know, helping in a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen or, or something like that. We're using your skills to meet people's immediate needs today. Uh, and it's obviously vital work. The second level of engagement that we describe is what we call systemic change. Are you someone who would rather work with the uh, system of governance or communication systems or systems of currency or, uh, or banking? Um, when you're working with systems, you can obviously leverage your activities to reach more people uh, and hopefully help out with their immediate needs. And then the third level that we identify is what we call um, the consciousness shift. And that's more in the, the working directly with your own and with other people's worldview to get clarity on how things work and to get clarity on what's the ethical basis of your own philosophy or political perspective and what are the insights or awarenesses that would most highly 
leveraged, be most highly leveraged in um, changing the systems that would then best serve the worldviews. Because obviously all three of those levels are vital. They're all intimately connected and there's no right or wrong one. There's just which one draws you most. And we've worked with groups all over the world. And even if there's only, you know, 50 or 100 people in the room in a community that we visit, and whether it's in Mexico or Australia or in uh, around this country or, or whatever, um, always, and with every group we've ever worked with, every single sector was represented by someone in the room as their personal passion and every level of engagement. So the key to this is that it creates a whole systems approach to solutions and relieves people of the stress that I was talking about earlier on that the, the young people recognize in, in, in the boomers that's, that's not necessary and it's not effective. And so once you realize that in your community, whether it be your local community or your online community, all of those sectors will be represented and every level of engagement, then you can relax and follow your passion but connect deeply with others and then bring all of those skills and all of that whole systems awareness to any particular issue, whether it's GMOs or chemtrails or, uh, or pesticides or banking schemes or whatever it is, uh, and then work as a, as a group, but bringing your personal passion. And we spell out on the website and in numerous uh, videos in our, what's called our solutions hub at thrivemovement.com, how to organize as a community to take advantage of all these different uh, skills and to take on either multiple issues or a single issue um, in a super highly effective way. So that way you get to relax, do what you want, people who, meet people who are also on, on purpose and develop communities that, are, that stay in touch with each other and that are very active. The community where I live in, in uh, Santa Cruz, we've done this um, over a, a, you know, a period of many years and we, you know, we have each other's emails. So when um, when uh, we're you know, threatened by somebody wants to put in a nuclear plant or they, they want to frack or they want to do GMOs or they, they're chemtrailing or whatever, we use those networks to activate the community and become a nuclear-free zone. We're, in, we're a non-fracking zone. And you know, we got rid of a, a, uh, of a dangerous covert moth spray that was initiated by George Bush Jr. Uh, there are, there are anti-chemtrail groups that are coordinating now, and you can do that in every single community across the world or online. So you don't have to feel like you need to, to save the world uh, yourself. Just identify your own mission, passion, and skills, and then you can use the Solutions Hub to coordinate effectively with other people. And then I guess the last thing that I would want to say, and it, it dovetails with that, uh, is that the last line of our film, the, the, uh, the Thrive theme song, that we wrote for the film is we already have what it takes to thrive. And that's a key realization. We don't have to be floundering around for the resources, for the principles, for the people power, for the communication uh, capabilities, for, the, for the, the solution strategies. We actually already have it all. So if we stay open-minded to learn from one another, open-hearted so we can resolve conflicts as they come up with, with uh, good communication skills, then we already are, and we can continue to be more and more effective at developing exactly the thriving civilization that we all know, you know, in our heart of hearts is possible. So we finally, I'll, I'll direct people who are interested to thrivemovement.com to see the film, to our solutions hub, which is on that, um, that website, and then to our 
our recently launched Thrive Together project, a lot of people were asking us, you know, can we have more intimate contact with you and Kimberly and your team in terms of what you're actually thinking? What are you working on? You know, how can we share best ideas? So we developed an online think tank and we have events once or twice a month and special blogs that go out to people who subscribe to that who actually want to really engage deeply in the conversation. It gets way beyond, you know, the kind of YouTube, Facebook type of, you know, snarky social media uh, shallowness that it, it so often gets in the way of people really effectively coordinating. And we, you know, dive into to project and uh, to uh, topics and projects, you know, like the UFO issues, like sovereignty issues, um, like uh, the new eco communities that are evolving around the world. Our next one that's coming up on April 18th is um, is very much the topic I've been talking about somewhat in this call, which is getting beyond right-left politics and getting on to, uh, to the principles of integrity and non-violation rather than get, getting caught up in, in um, political gridlock. So I, I highly recommend that people see the movie if you haven't, share it with your friends, you know, visit our website and our Solutions Hub. Subscribe together if, if it's of interest to you. And we really look forward to having you be part of our network. So I'm really grateful to you, David, first of all, for your your support on so many levels of, the, of Thrive ever since it came out. You're really one of the, the, the Zephyrs un, under, our, uh, under, under our wings and in, in Thrive together. And we just so admire what you're doing with the awareness and skills that you've developed over your lifetime in independent media, in, in health, in transformation of consciousness, I'm sure many other areas I don't, haven't even discovered about you yet. Thank you so much, Foster. And ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to an in-depth conversation between myself, Dr. David, and Foster Gamble. And this is just one episode in an ongoing episode, series of episodes, of our podcast series called Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, that's totally dedicated to doing in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And with that, thank you once again, Foster, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Hi, friends. Dr. David here again. Wasn't that an amazing interview? I was so inspired, and I hope you were too. I encourage you to go over to www.thrivemovement.com and just begin to explore the incredible world that can open up for you using that, that site as an entry point. And it was an absolute pleasure to be with Foster and to do this interview. I've been looking forward actually for a couple of years to having this type of in-depth conversation with Foster, and I'm so happy I could share it with you. So until next time, let's close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.